you know, we talk about self-awareness, we're really thinking about more than just our behaviors and actions. We're thinking about those, those idiosyncrasies, those characteristics about ourselves that we think are perfectly normal, but actually aren't. And then we're think, we have to think about how do those characteristics affect others? Number one, how do they affect others? And then secondly, how are they perceived by others? You know, we say, well, we don't care what other people think about us. Let's, okay, we would give more context to that statement. Allowing other people's perception of us to control what we do to make us happy is really, I think, what people mean. But other people's perception of us is an important thing in the world. It's, it's how we manage and how we navigate. It's part of emotional intelligence. It's, you know, if customers don't like us, they're not going to buy. So people's perception of you does kind of matter. You know, so this whole broad statement of that, this sort of extreme view of it is not what we're looking for either. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the NeuroSide of Influence and Leadership with Renee Rodriguez. Okay, welcome back to the NeuroSide of Influence and Leadership podcast. And today, we're going to talk about a topic that I really actually I enjoy because it's not an easy one. This is one that the moment I think I got a grasp of it, the moment is the moment that I realized that I barely understand it. And the, like even as I was getting ready for this one, every time I sat down to record, I learned more. And every time I sat down to record, I asked myself more questions. And every time I was ready to go, I was like, well, shit, I, there's more I got to do here. And so th- I guess that's kind of what I hope you walk away with on this one. And it's around self-awareness. And there's a great quote from Voltaire. It says, follow those who seek the truth and run from those who claim they've found it. And I always thought that was kind of funny because... I love being around people who are constantly searching, people who are always looking and seeking and trying to find. And then there's, peop- there's those people that are just so certain about life, and the ones that have it all figured out. And those are the scariest ones to me, the ones that are immovable. And so that's kind of where I want to begin this, is that this is a, the beginning. And I'm hoping that you hear this and, and, you, and this kind of piques your interest. And this also caught my interest before because I've... I've had the opportunity to work with some of the, the nation's biggest companies and, and been at some really cool leadership team tables and looked at trainings from some of the, the best. And they all, all their coaching programs, all of their high-level leadership programs, they all begin with this question of self-awareness. They want to build self-aware leaders. And think about the unaware leader, the leader that is disconnected, the leader that tells a joke at the wrong time that isn't sharing the story at the right time, the one that it's laughing when they shouldn't, the one that is just in their own world. They're disconnected, and disconnected leader has no influence. And that, that concept is, is, is so powerful. And you know, when we talk about self-awareness, we're really thinking about more than just our behaviors and actions. We're thinking about those, those idiosyncrasies, those characteristics about ourselves that we think are perfectly normal, but actually 
aren't. And then we're think, we have to think about how do those characteristics affect others? Number one, how do they affect others? And then secondly, how are they perceived by others? You know, we say, well, we don't care what other people think about us. Let's, okay, we'll be, give more context to that statement. Allowing other people's perception of us to control what we do to make us happy is really, I think, what people mean. But other people's perception of us is an important thing in the world. It's, it's how we manage and how we navigate. It's part of emotional intelligence. It's, you know, if customers don't like us, they're not going to buy. So people's perception of you does kind of matter. You know, so this whole broad statement of that, this sort of extreme view of it is not what we're looking for either. Let's take a look at, you know, we're going to look at it from those perspectives. And so the, 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 the unaware leaders, you know, tone deaf. They do things without realizing that where they're coming from might affect their audience in a different way, that they may not have the resources that they have. They, they may not have the, the same upbringing. They may not have the same positional influence. Who knows what it is? And so leaders that say, you know, we just need to move on from this and get going versus, you know, and, you know, we just need to get over it. And people that maybe need a moment to, to, to feel it. But saying just move, on, just move on and get over it too quickly could be that unaware leader. And so there's another interesting reality that some studies that were done by, and if you, if you want to look her up, I'll put the in, in the show notes. But her name is uh, Tasha Urich. And you can look her up. She's got a great TED Talk. And a lot of her study on self-awareness, is, I think it's, it's some of the best. And I wanted to quote her. I, I put her in the book, and it's it's actually hard to put people in books. It makes it a pain in the butt. So I'm going to give her a lot more love in this podcast, probably. But they did a study that talked about 95% of us think that we're self-aware. <laughs> that means that all of us basically listen to this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're self-aware. But they came out to really the number is about 10 to 15% of us are actually self-aware, and that should haunt you. That should scare you. To think that there's a lot more that we don't understand. There's a lot more that we're missing. And if you understand Amplify, understand that the research behind it, that should make sense, right? Because we're part of this whole mission of Amplify is helping you understand that there's so much more that we're not getting. Even if you get into our Engage course, part of the first hour and a half, two hours is my case against reality, showing you that what we see isn't in what we perceive that creates our own reality isn't all there. There's so much more. And... You hear me talk about certainty as one of the major signs of, of lower intelligence. And so when we're certain, we immediately push off any other possibility of more information. And that right there is just not smart. It's not good for your evolution. It's not a good strategic position to play in business and games and say, no, I know it all. No, that's not smart. We can learn. There, there might be new information. We need to make room for that. And you need to be self-aware enough to know that, that I don't know everything. And the moment that I think I do, that I know it all, there. And, and, and here's, think about it this way. We know this if we're, if we're older. If you're younger, you're in it right now. I knew I was ready to graduate college when I realized I didn't know anything. Prior to that, I thought I knew it all. And we, all, we know this. We, the kid thinks he knows it all. And we're waiting for the kid to have a realization to wake up, fall on his face or her face, and they realize, okay, hold on a second. There's a lot more to this. And I think that's when we grow up, is when we realize we don't, we don't know it all. And College is a great way to realize we don't know it all. Failing a business and losing something is a great way to realize, okay, there's <laughs> a lot more that I don't know. You know, getting eaten alive by a shark, you know, proverbially in, in, in a business deal is a real way, great, great way to realize that you don't know it all. 
And those are good moments because they, they create a humility and that humility is important. We've got to have some humility in this to go, okay, there's more. The politics conversation, great way to sort of flush out lack of self-awareness, the certainty of everything. Now, this is right, this is wrong, there's no other way. The moment that happens, I already know this is a tough conversation. And I want to get out of that scenario, not out of the conversation. I want to kind of move the overarching frame of the conversation. I don't like, I'd rather talk about values than I would talk about specific political issues, unless, unless we can approach it from a, a logical perspective, right? Good luck. <laughs> and so I want this to sort of make us curious as to where we're, where are you from a self-awareness perspective? And moreover, where are you from a curiosity perspective? And how far do you want to take it? But before we do that, let's talk some numbers, because I think numbers are, are critical in this. And if you're wondering how important this is, there's some research I want to share with you. And Corn Ferry, the global organizational consulting firm, did this study. And what they found were that employees at poor performing companies that were measured by stock performance were 79% more likely to have low overall self-awareness than the, those at firms with solid rates of return. 79%, 79%. Another study by the Hay Group, found this in Business Wire, said women in executive level management positions are more self-aware than men in those same positions. So women tend to have more self-awareness, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And that's actually found in a lot of different areas. And so just is, it's research, right? We could look at research from a lot of different perspectives. 19% were found to have more versus men around 4%. And so this concept around just the numbers and the reality around where the self-aware leader can impact the business, can impact a family, can impact a coaching group, I mean a sports team, is, is huge. And so when we dive into it, it's like, okay, so what, what, what is self-awareness? Because there's a lot of, is it introspection? And research says it's a lot more than that. A lot of people say, well, it's asking why. Well, the research says that asking why can actually cause depression, and it's the wrong question. Because our ability to really understand our why, we go into making of lies. I mean, our, our ability to really understand what we, the way we act and behave is very limited, just based on how our brain is structured. Our prefrontal lobe is designed to create a narrative based on what we actually do. It's designed to create a narrative, even if it's a lie. And a lot of studies have proven that. But the, what is it and how do we do it? So we, we have to talk about internal and external self-awareness. Also back to Yurich. And so when Tasha Yurich really said, so there's two different kinds. She's talking about internal and external. They surveyed thousands and thousands of people. And people who are self-aware typically are better communicators. They do better at work. And they're more successful leaders at more profitable companies. And so when you're looking at the benefits of it, it's all there, but what is it? So internal self-awareness, it's really about how we see ourselves in relation to our values, emotions, strengths, weaknesses, and in the environment that we're in. So it's really how we see ourselves, we see ourselves. Now that's a hard thing to do. That's a really, really, really hard thing to do. And so you know, the question of like, why did I say that to a team member? That's one thing. So why did I see that to a team? And so what she's proposing, instead of saying why, because then 
there's all sorts of things that come into play there. Recency effect, you know, it's like you're, there, there might've been an argument in that meeting that contributes to that and clouds your thinking in that moment to create a narrative that just isn't true. She proposes the question of what? Now don't get confused if you listen to this around your why, starting with why and all that stuff. This is, it's not about that. But the question of why in this scenario might be really confusing and down the wrong path. And so she says, instead of why, saying why did I say that to the team member, she said maybe say what made me say that to the team member? Because you can't always rationalize. You can always rationalize why, but explaining the what might be a little bit easier. And that might be that question to, to get you a little bit more logical and more objective in the moment. Because in, in the, the, the search for self-awareness, we want to reach a place of objectivity, which means that we need to now look beyond the internal self-awareness and now look externally to say, how are others perceiving us? And so that self-awareness from an external perspective is how others see us in relation to our values, emotions, our strengths, our weaknesses, and our environment. So this is how we see ourselves, internal, and how others see us externally. Now, what they found were, was that externally self-aware people are more empathetic and are better at relating to others because they, are, they, they, they can, and that would also lend really well towards emotionally intelligent, right? Emotional intelligence the ability to understand where, where I'm, how am I feeling, how others are feeling, and then ability to adapt and change. And so, in fact, both of these, obviously, because self-awareness is the key component to emotional intelligence. So, internal, external. Those two elements to say, okay, so I have to have in my journey of self-awareness, I want to I go into two approaches. Like, where am I in it? Like, okay, internally, where am I? I, you always hear me say, be a student of your experience. If I meet somebody that I like, and man, that was awesome, that was great, you know, don't just go by that moment. Go, well, what happened? Like, like literally, what happened? Like, what were all the things? What was, was there music playing? Was I, you know, coming off of a, a big sale that I made? Did I, did I, was I, did I get great sleep last night? What were all the factors that play into me? Like, was it the, the, the fact that they told stories? Did they listen to me? What were all the things? Just get into that what question over and over and over and over again. Because there's a formula in there somewhere. But then also, you're building self-awareness so that you can be really present in what's happening. That requires some mindfulness, right? So being really present to remember to say, okay, this really cool thing just happened. What is going on? Same is true when you meet somebody that you didn't like. Instead of avoiding them, say, okay, well, hold on a second. What happened there? Because I don't want that formula ever to come my way. If somebody really didn't feel good about, I didn't feel good about that person. I want somebody to feel the same that way about me. And so what happened? Was there music playing? Did I not get sleep? Did, did they not get sleep? Like what, was it the clothes? Were there a smell? What were all the things? Because then now I can really put some self-awareness around how am I impacting other people? How am I coming across? Because now I'm entering this thing a lot more consciously. And so now there's something that's really fascinating that I found in all of this too, which I thought was, and it, it makes sense. It does make sense. Is there are two things that sort of begin to hinder our self-awareness and that is power and experience, which means the more successful you become and the smarter that you become, typically the less self-aware you, you become. And that 
I think, and this is where I, how I would look at that, is that because we sort of self-reinforce, clearly the decisions that I have made have led me to experience, knowledge and power, money, success, you name it. So therefore, what I'm thinking works, the bigger pile theory, which I tend to subscribe to a lot, right? Somebody who's better at this, I'll go to that. And so there is a validation to that. But if I personally subscribe to the bigger pile theory, meaning if I've got the most money, I know the most about money. And so if I have the most homes, then I know the most about investing in homes. Now there's a lot in that. But when I'm the one saying it, then I have now shut off the fact that somebody else may have something that has less than me in this particular area that could contribute to me being even better at what I'm at. But what was fascinating is that the more power and the smarter that we become, the more successful we become, the more we tend to shut off other people's opinions, the less self-aware we become. And I thought that was fascinating because if you're listening to this and you are finding success in your life, then this might be that moment you go say, okay, hold on a second. I need to then be extra vigilant right now. I need to be extra cautious to make sure that I'm surrounded by good people that are strong enough to, to give their opinions, strong enough to get through my, my hard nature or the, 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 the things that made me successful might be the things that push people with contrary opinions away from me. That I've seen all the time. It happens to me. And so I say, well, I need strong people around me. It's like, well, good. Well, what if the strong people don't show up? What if somebody that isn't as strong-natured shows up with a good idea, and because they weren't strong, I didn't get something good? Like I had to, I got to think about that. And I'm like, well, okay, hold on a second. It's not just about I have to have strong people around me. I have to be approachable, and I got to listen. I got to humble myself to just listen. We all have to. And if life hasn't humbled you, if life hasn't beat you down in some way, shape, or form, then go do something big so you can experience that. Because there's nothing more awesome than to be beaten down and realizing that, wow, I can lose it all. There's something beautiful about that. I don't know. There's something really amazing knowing that life is fragile, that what we have is temporary and can be taken away because then you sort of value it more. And so when we think about it, that's why it's so important to do that. And so the other thing too, that I, in those of us, it, this is a hard one because we tend to like push it off, but somebody says, re, t- pay attention to the feedback that we get repeatedly. It's like, well, they always say that. Well, they must be always wrong. People always say X about me or about you. Well, that might be the thing we need to start paying attention to. And here's the hard part, is that usually the thing that we hear repeatedly is something we don't want to hear. Because it might be painful, it might be hard, it might require us to really take a look and, and internalize something that is ugly or not good, or you name it. But maybe that's that place. Maybe that, that's that place to say, okay, that's my opportunity. Now, here's what makes it hard. If you are surrounded by people that the moment of self-reflection and humility is an opportunity for them to strike, an opportunity for them to use that against you in some way, well, no wonder you're not willing to do that. But there's another question. Why are you surrounding yourself with them? You got to be cognizant of who you're around. Right? Who do you spend your time with? 
Like what are the people, are they contributing to your life? Are they helping you learn or are they not? Now, I don't mean to be so binary with that because it's easy. I mean, I think life's easy when we're binary. Are they contributing to or taking away? Life isn't always that binary. Sometimes there's people, there's middle ground in that. And so I think you, you've got to be, be careful with that because it's, it's just binary can, yeah, binary can be manipulative. There's more than that. Well, there's this, this you know, my way or the highway, black and white. It's, just, it's not always like that. There's always more to it. But I think it is one way of thinking about it to push ourselves. And so when we're thinking about this whole thing around self-awareness, I want to I pull up some, some other concepts here. Let's go back to that, 10 to 15%. So now, if 95% of us think that we're self-aware and only 10%, 10 to 15% are, are actually that way, then, then what, are we, what else are we missing, right? What else are we missing? I mean, there's so many studies. And, and like my, my whole passion around studying the brain and why we call this the neuroside is the, the, the things that have always fascinated me are, are how we look at reality and how far sometimes it is from how I see it versus how somebody else sees it. We used to have this module when my mother did this course called the Diamond of Reality. And we always said, imagine there's a diamond in front, in, in the middle of all of us. We're standing in a circle. And as I look through that diamond, I look at through one facet of that diamond. But you on the other side will look at through a different facet. And it shifts because the light, is re- the light is refracted. And so we're all looking through different facets of that diamond. And the only way I can get an actual view of life is to experience multiple facets. That's why they say that you know traveling is one of the best things you can do, experiencing other cultures and, and countries. It gives you different views, different facets of the diamond to help you look at reality that way. And so when we're looking at this and saying, okay, like all of the studies and research and perceptual illusions are telling us that what we see isn't always true. It's just not, it's not there. We're solving problems. We're, we're going after, whether it's strategic planning, the scariest thing for a business that is going through strategic planning is to think that they have it all figured out. That's why they don't do that. They bring in an outside perspective. They're self-aware enough to go, we don't have all the answers. A, a couple that says, you know what, we're not going to try to psychoanalyze ourselves. We'll bring somebody else to do that because we may not have all the answers. And so when we bring in that third party or the outside perspective, it helps us see things more clear. And so going back to the journey, right? Because I want to get into what do we do about this, right? Like how do we get into the journey of, of getting better at it? And I wrote about this in, in the book and, and talking about like how do I take it to the next level and how do I start reflecting. And of course, one of the first parts that, that I've done for a long time, I got away from it for a long time. I started doing it again. And, and obviously the, the, the book has really, 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 really helped is just journaling. And some, gosh, it sounds so boring sometimes journaling, but journaling just helps us write down where we are. But if you ever gone back to read a journal that you wrote a long time ago, it's the insightfulness of that, the insights you gained and like what you were thinking during those times in comparison to what you think now helps sort of form who you are. 
and your growth. And that self-awareness, people who are self-aware, they know what they're good at and where they're weak. They know their strengths and weaknesses. They know their personal values and they're comfortable with those values. They're clear. And those values tend to guide the decisions of what they do without some sort of outside influence. And they're in touch with how they feel about things. And they can tell how others are feeling about things. That emotional intelligence always, 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 always comes back. What's also self-aware people also are receptive to feedback. And this is something that we see all the time. We can, we can tell. Now, people that come to Amplify, they're kind of self-selecting into being receptive to feedback. And people that don't want to come, they don't really typically want feedback. And I don't blame them. Feedback sucks. I mean, that's, that's hard. It's basically saying, hey, you're not good at this. <laughs> and you can get better at it. But if, if that's how you look at it. But I think feedback requires a sense of humility to say, I can get better at this. That doesn't mean that I'm not good at it, but I can get better. And, but being open to, self, to, to feedback. And so this, so this is a question. If you find yourself finding and getting really stressed out around feedback, that might be an opportunity to grow your self-awareness. Here's what I mean. We are structured to avoid stress and pain, right? We are avoid to, we're structured to avoid the pain and the stress. And so if feedback creates stress, you will consciously and unconsciously avoid moments to get feedback. And if you're like me, you'll just try to be perfectionist, so you just avoid any and all negative feedback. I just went and did an event in, in the East Coast, and of course, they said, we got, the, we got the results back, and had all positives except one. And guess what I focused on? That one. That wasn't all that negative. It was somebody that had perceived something. And, but man, it's so easy to just get caught up in that one and to say, I don't want it. But you know, to me, it was, I know I can't avoid it in the profession that I've chosen. So I kind of use that as a, as a spark to work harder and be good at what I do. But I'm not going to lie. It sucks. Now, in the moment, what do I do? I take a deep breath, I listen, and I remember, why am I here? I'm here to be better. I'm not here for any of those other reasons. And the moment I can sort of reframe that moment, I'm able to hear the feedback better. So remember, this has been years of practice, and it's still hard. But years of practice to get in that moment and do that. It's also remembering my values. Values are on customer value being first. One of those things um, that if I can deliver value to my customer, then everything is... Everything's in play. If I'm not delivering value to my customer, I don't, what do I've got in terms of from a business perspective? So self-aware people are also very self-aware of their body, their body language, how they're standing, their smiles, and placement in the room, you know, where they're going, how they're dressed. As they know, all of those things affect people and how they're perceived. And so video recording yourself is a must. You have to, if you're in today's world, you have to start videotaping yourself. I said taping, dating myself. You have to start recording yourself somehow. There's no excuses for it. All of our cameras, all of our phones, excuse me, have beautiful cameras and you can record. If you don't like how you look on video, here, hate to break it to you, that's how you look. Now, you also just aren't used to seeing yourself that way. That's it. We are though, and that's okay. And if you don't like how you look, just do it more often and practice. You can change it. The body language is changeable. 
Expressions are changeable. Like where you sit, you know, sitting in a chair on the video and I'm looking, is my head evenly distributed on this chair? Sometimes it's over here to the side. Do I like that? Do I like this? Just play with it. See what you like. Find what you like, but just get on it and start recording because then you start building the self-awareness to say, this works, this doesn't work. And those elements start coming to play. I did one time, <clears throat> I'll share it, why not? Okay, so I was doing a presentation. Now, this was with a partner I had a long time ago. And every presentation we would do, we would always meet afterwards for about 10, 15 minutes. And we'd write down what worked and what didn't work. We were sort of perfecting the presentation. And I came in and we had this presentation nailed. So I knew it was, it was just going to be more like, you know, what was next. And I got in the conference room and he was just busting a gut laughing, hunched over. I've never seen him laughing so hard. And I'm like, look at him, I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, and he's just trying to catch his breath. And now I'm just like annoyed because I'm like, I don't know what, I'm like, can you at least you know, include me in on the joke? Cause I'd like to, I like to laugh too. Right. And he's finally kind of catches a breath. He goes, I have seen you present this presentation countless times. And I don't even listen to what you say anymore. And he starts laughing anymore. And I'm like, well, what? He goes, I can't believe you did that today. And I'm like, now I'm like, well, what the hell did I do? And he's laughing more. And he finally catches his breath. And he goes, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. But as you were talking, it was so perfect. It was so good. And you're using your hands and everything. And you went and you dug in your ear. And somehow you took out earwax, rolled it up in your finger, and you flung it and kept in your presentation. And he started laughing so hard. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way that I dug in my ear, rolled up wax, and flung it at the audience while I was talking. He's full of it. Not happening. He's dying laughing. I'm laughing because it's kind of a funny story. Actually, not kind of. It was hilarious. But there's no way that that's true. So we laughed about it, whatever. Next week comes along, I'm in my presentation, I'm in a groove, everything's great, and I feel my hand by my ear. And all of a sudden, my body goes cold. And I was about to dig in my ear. It's like, what the hell am I doing? And I pull my hand down, lost my train of thought, and I can only imagine if that's what was going next. Now, maybe I just had an itch. Maybe I was just there. But I'll tell you this, ever since that moment, I am paranoid about putting my hands anywhere near my ears. Now, <laughs> I don't know if that's self-awareness. I think it has to be. But you had to have somebody, I had to have somebody around me telling me. And now, here's the best part. If I have it, if I were to do it now, I would know because every single presentation I give, I'd say every, almost every single presentation I give is recorded. And so these are those things that we have to be careful on. And especially if you do live things. And now, sometimes you do things people won't notice because if your presentation's good and your storytelling's good, people won't notice. And that's a plus. If you have a reputation and a good relationship, people won't notice. But if it's recorded and people watch it over and over again, guess what? You need to be aware. So, let's get back to this. Record yourself. You have to. If you don't know how, do it on your phone. Watch tape. Every professional athlete reviews tape weekly. I just read an article. There was one wide receiver. I'm not going to mention his name. I think it was a wide receiver. Or D-back, one of something. And they said they were concerned that he wasn't watching tape, so they gave him blank tapes. And his response was, we loved it. I was watching the Blitz especially. And 
They were making fun of him, but this was like a big deal because he wasn't watching the tapes. They they uh, tested it out and they called him out. It's part of the job is to review tape. How am I doing? How am I playing? And not only that, how's my competition playing? Because now it's not just about me. So journaling. How do I journal? And what what's a good way to do that? I, I, have, a, I have a recommendation for you. If you haven't heard of the five-minute journal, go get it. It's simple. It's pretty perfect for this. It literally is five minutes a day, two and a half minutes in the morning, two and a half minutes in, at, uh, in the evening. You, at, you start with gratitude, what you're grateful for. You set kind of an intention, three big things you want to accomplish. And at the end of the day, you review how you did. It's not hard, but it sets the tone. It gets you started. The way you start the day kind of tends to, t- to really set the pace for how the day goes. And it creates a moment for self-reflection at the end of the day. Go to intelligentchange.com. I'll put it in the, in the show notes. And, but the five-minute journal, it's pretty cool. Uh, I highly recommend it. Now, if you're already journaling, write just write stuff every day. How are you feeling about stuff? If you, if you want, if you if you like how you write, get a blog and start blogging your stuff. Right? Some people use their social media as a journal. Do that. Like, just get your ideas out there. But you know, sometimes social media you'll probably judge those ideas, so it might not be your true thoughts. But we'll see. Who knows? Next thing: do anything you can to grow your emotional intelligence. Now, that's a big ask. You know, so how do I grow my emotional intelligence? Well. One, start with a test. I'm going to put some, some tests in the show notes. There's three of them from the University of California, Berkeley, uh, Global Leadership Foundation, and also Psychology Today has one. We'll put them in the show notes. But go see where you're at and start Googling. How do I grow emotional intelligence? It's really about self-awareness. Self, um, self, uh, it's about managing emotion, right? And it's also about learning skill sets. And so all of those things make you more self-aware. And by the way, you got to be self-aware if you're going to be an influencer and speaker. You have to. So another one, you pay attention to external triggers. This is huge. Like what is it that triggers you? What are the things that make you happy, sad, scared, def- defensive, attacked, intrigued, and fearful? What are those things that externally sort of trigger that? And then when you respond, how do you respond when that happens? And then take it even further. When you respond that way, how do others respond and so that whole process of just really starting to pay attention to that. And then, you know what? Great thing to journal about. Write it down. Don't judge it. Just let the pen go and start writing. And we've talked about this one. Elicit feedback from trusted sources. Feedback from people that have something against you, they're going to drive their own agenda. Just be real. But trusted sources, people that, that, can, that have your best interest at heart and really do care. Feedback's critical. Because it's going to give you an insight. It's going to give you insights that you can't see. You look up Jahari's window. It's a really old school reality that you know, there's four quadrants in life. There's things that you can see and that I can see and in life. There are things that you, both of us can see. Now, some things that you can see that I can't see. Now, there's some things that I can see that you can't see. And there's some things in life that neither of us can see. And so that the, the Jahari's window concept is it's helpful when you get somebody on the outside to help us do that. And then do what you have to do to start identifying your core values and then align them with your behaviors. Because identifying core values without a behavioral assessment, does it really matter? I value these things, but I behave in these other ways. It, it doesn't matter. Behaviors and values need to align. And, and here's the cool part. When you truly uh, identify your values, 
your body will tell you if you're out of alignment. It's painful. It really is painful. The dissonance, the cognitive dissonance when you're not aligned with what you feel and believe and what you do, it's brutal. If you've ever done something against your values, it's almost a sick feeling in the stomach. So align those people, these pieces. Next, I would also think about practicing mindfulness. Now, mindfulness and meditation, two really, really important things. Now, practice it for yourself. Don't be that person that takes two classes on this and tries to get everybody else to do it. That is one way to show that you have zero self-awareness. You say, well, we need to be doing this. Well, how long? Well, I've taken a class. Okay, great. Good for you. <laughs> Go become a master at it before you tell us about it. And so, but practice mindfulness and meaning being present. When you're driving, drive. If you're breathing, breathe. Being present. And what we'll put in the, in the show notes too is a progressive relaxation audio recorded by me. It's, it's a really, really cool study or just process we've used for over 20 years that helps you identify where you carry your stress in your body specifically. I'll walk you through tensing and tightening different muscles and you'll just go through just building some self-awareness from your physical body, in your shoulders, in your teeth, in your face, in your hands. Where do you keep your stress? So going through those things I think will be, will be powerful. And so what I want to leave you with is hopefully you're feeling curious enough to start diving into understanding self-awareness for yourself self-awareness, not being a preacher about it, but really your own personal study. And I hope it's something that you keep for the rest of your life. That's something that you hold on to as a journey to make you better at everything you do, a better parent, a better civilian, a better leader, a better salesperson, a better teacher, whatever it is you do, wherever I found you, if you found this, then tell me, by the way, comment, like find me on social media. Tell me, I'd love to know who you are and how you're using this. But I just want to make you curious about it. Because there's something cool that happens when you spark curiosity in today's information world. You can start searching things and you can find things. Share with me what you found. I love learning too. And there's cool studies out there. I want to see them. Share them with me. Maybe they'll make it into the next book. So anyways, that's all for today. Make sure you follow us on the neuroside.com. Uh, Meetrene.com. Learn more about me and, of course, our Amplify course, Amplify My Life. All of that can be found on meetrene.com. We've got courses, we've got events, and of course, our big Amplify conference is coming up March 14th, so make sure you look into that, and if you have any questions, follow on C. Renee Speak on Instagram, and pretty much every social media platform, C. Renee Speak. We will see you and talk to you next time. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com. <laughs>